Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I don't like blood and guts. But I love them when they're lengthily finally fallen on the Southern California lowlands. Uh, it has fell, fallen, and is falling. This is Paul Rust, you're hearing after me. And this is uh, Matt Gorley, you were hearing before me when he just said after me. Which I'm doing after him now, but before him now. So everybody who's listening uh, for the very first time, register these voices uh-huh. as um, as uh, this is Paul. This is Matt. Perfect. Well, we did it exactly like each other. <laughs> I don't know why I followed I it. You could that probably way. overlay those perfectly. Yeah. And, uh, so this is sync. with with Gorley and Rust, yes. the podcast where we talk at length about cozy. Well, whether they're cozy or not, we have cozy, easy listening discussions about horrors and thrillers and occasional grab bags. And today we're smack dab on on the over the hump, but soundly in the middle of our yuppie nightmare season, which has been wonderful. Smack dab, over the hump. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Slightly. Uh, um, I'm loving it too. And... Love raising Kate, and I always love getting oh, to talk about him. Man, I've been. Well, cut. I know. I, I know, really want to get into this movie breaks. because I texted you the other day. I watched it two or three days ago. Uh-huh. Going, boy, I cannot wait to talk about this. And by talk yeah. again, it's De Palma, so a lot of it is going to be me having questions for you. Hey, I don't know if I have well, answers for you, is, but this is going to be amazing. Okay, so. Let's do some business yes. and we'll get to the fun. Yes. You can go to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust and there you will bask in the true wonders of with Gorley and Rust because That's true. just 
drenched upon thee will be episodes like this ad-free and a week early, mm. mailbag episodes, mm. feature-length commentary. As of this recording today, we just, uh, today up is the Halloween 5 commentary. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which was really fun. We get to talk about those funny cops. Yeah. With the goofy music. Yeah. And you know what's been sticking with me is actually the score to that movie when they do bum, 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 bum. Yeah. Just the way they kind of- Let that- yeah. Did you have to let it linger? You yes. Have to let it linger. Oh, rest in peace, Dolores. Rest in peace. Rudin. I know. Um, uh, 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 um, what was I going to say about? Oh, 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 oh. And also, we, um, we're living in a post Halloween ends world, my yeah, man. That's right. And, uh, we did a little, uh, a uh, fun episode that we just put up uh, uh, as a bonus. Yeah, it was in the field reporting of our experience yes. going to see Halloween Ends. It's only available on the Patreon. And so the way it works is the second Tuesday of every month, you get a mailbag episode. Last yes. mailbag episode we did with Umar Ditta, Branley Palmer, and Dustin Kraft. Best mailbag yet. Yeah. It was a real bag of mails. Um <laughs> And we, did, we, we, we never thought of that. At I the know. Time. I can't that believe we so didn't. Good. These guys have been uh, MVP trustees, which is what you'll be called if you subscribe to our Patreon. More on that in a bit. Mm-hmm. And um, we, and then every fourth Tuesday of the month, yeah. you get a commentary and or grab bag episode. Yes. So we're here to announce that the next two commentary slots will actually be special episodes. Yay. November and December, we were taking a commentary break. For November, we're going to do a deep dive on Halloween ends. Oh! There's a lot to unpack. Just like a regular like uh, episode we do where we talk longer yeah. than the length of the movie yeah. about the movie. That's right. Um, because the Halloween ends, what we did was like really good on in the field reporting. I mean, we got the phone out oh, in yeah. the theater when the when the movie wouldn't start, oh. when the projector wouldn't work. That's right. And we looked like field reporters. We were all wearing vests with lots of pockets, you know. But we did have the shame of self-awareness about our dorkiness that I think we did hang off in the shadows where we <laughs> did talk about that we weren't too like uh like yeah. remember we waited in the vomitorium oh that's right before uh, we and, couldn't we couldn't be part of the story we had to report the story that's right that's yeah. right but yes like you said there's a lot to uh, uh unpack yeah about Halloween Halloween ends we're living in a, like I said in a post Halloween ends world where people. I would say the reaction has been divisive. More so than even Halloween Kills, I think. True. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but that it seems to be the case. Yeah. And then you were saying the in the commentary slot, the fourth uh, Tuesday uh, of December yeah. will be... Well, we teased this. We kind of came up with it on with the <gasps> boys on the mailbag episode. We're going to do a special where we revisit our rankings, and I believe... What we came up with is we'd have, we could change the rankings of the films of ten of the films of the past that we that need reevaluation, and so Umar has already put together a spreadsheet that we can kind of take a look at what we gave them and reassess them, and we'll go through that because as we discovered, who was it that pointed that out to us? Was it Dustin that we gave Halloween three a really low ranking circumstantially. Yeah. And, and both some, of us didn't. There's some right Friday about the 13th yeah. rankings. I don't want to go back there. I mean, I think, um, I can only imagine it. Like, have we, as we have eaten more cuisine yes. 
our palate has changed and we go, mm, you know what? There is something good about Halloween vibe that deserves a higher rank. Yeah. We didn't know what we had. You know, and then uh, Mike Nichols' uh, biography, biography that Mark Harris wrote, uh-huh. uh, it's just filled with all these little wisdoms that Mike Nichols shared in his life and then somebody else shared to Mark, uh, Mark Harrison that was in the book. And it's a, uh, uh, Mike Nichols says, uh, as you get older, you get easier on people mm. because you start getting easier on yourself. That's a nice place to be. And uh, I was like, I think maybe that's also what uh, is, is part of the re-raking is like, it's going easier on these movies now. Look for double 13s for Rob Zombie's Halloween films from <laughs> oh us. Oh my God. <laughs> I think after you have to like watch, after that really low, 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 uh, it's been a long December, <laughs> st- Counting Crow style last, Rest in last peace, December when we had to do Jack Frost. And I think like- yeah. It wasn't better watch out. It was some other uh, just like Silent Night, three Night, really yeah. dreary Santa yeah. movies, and then I mean we got to lift it up at the end of the year by the Eyes Wide Shut episode, which is like one That's of my right. favorites. That was so fun. <laughs> but but it'll be uh, yeah. I, uh, I'm just saying after you had a taste of Jack Frost. Friday thirteenth seven is going to taste all the more sweeter. Oh, it's, are you kidding? That's duck a la orange. Now, speaking of those Christmas movies, we'll also, after this season, be back December twenty third with our holiday horrors season, starting with yeah. Black Christmas, Ooh. followed by New Year's Evil. Yes, and then at some point we'll figure out what the rest of those yeah. are. But that and will I be the next my season. My bloody Valentine probably will fall in there. I think a Leprechaun. Yes, I think, like we said, President's Day Massacre. We'll have to get that movie made. <laughs> we'll do it, produced and screened by then. But yeah, and there there has to be a New Year's Day. Slasher, uh, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, is there not? Well, there probably is, and I'm putting my big old foot, in my little <laughs> mouth. <laughs> and then before we read some of the xenomorph names, which means yeah. if you subscribe yes. to Patreon at the highest level, you get your name read on the podcast. Just subscribe, email us at withgorleanrust at gmail dot com, and we'll read your name on the podcast. Mm. We got sent um, back when I used to do James Bonding. There was this mm-hmm. great. A couple of guys, primary among them, who reached out to me recently, Eddie, oh. at License to Drink, which is a kind of custom craft cocktail. A fun whole celebration service. And he, they came out and we did a two episode cocktails of James Bond where they just plied us with drinks and we recorded it. I listened to it. that episode yeah. and I loved it. Well, Paul. He took it upon himself to send three custom cocktails Are based on this podcast. Are they're, you serious? They're in my refrigerator right now. So I know it's early in the day. We probably don't want to drink them, but I'm going to send you home with some because they're based. One's called The Shape. One's called The Blue Sweater. Are you kidding me? No. And the nightmare one, I, I need to forget to look. I need to look at it, but it's a, it's like a coconut coffee Negroni, which you're going to love. <sighs> and I've had The Shape. And it's like a pumpkin spice old fashioned. Oh it's incredible. Goodness gracious. Yeah. He's well, the best. That is beyond thoughtful yeah. and generous. And I'm gonna add another and uh <laughs> uh and uh and selfless. Yeah. Gosh darn it. Yeah. To 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 do that. So I appreciate it, that. And it's selfless because uh, he died doing it. 
<laughs> it was true altruism. It's just, it's just a he sacrifice. Dropped, like Child's Play 3, he jumped onto a grenade and blew up. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> the, best, the best scene in Child's Play 3, I think we agreed, was mm-hmm. or the best moment. No uh, doubt. No um, doubt. Um, well, that's very cool. I'll take some home, but we should also, uh, yeah, um, when we have a session where it's um, not in the morning... Uh, we can we we could have a little we can share a cocktail. Oh yeah, that would be fun. And a pumpkin spider too, because I got the fridge That's packed right. with those. Yeah, got to do that before. Uh, but before yuppie, if if uh, in one of these yuppie nightmares somebody cracks open a Bartles and James, oh, then, yeah. then we'll dr- crack open with a pumpkin spiders. That has to happen. Maybe yeah, we should schedule one of these later in the day so we can. Have a cocktail, maybe next week. Sure. Yeah, consenting adults does seem like the one you want to drink for. <laughs> oh boy, everyone. Uh, um, oh, uh, last uh, bit of business as I was reminded of it right now. Yes. Um, uh, 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 you you have a, a vinyl release out that people can purchase, correct? It's sold out. Oh my goodness! It's sold out in pre-order. Um, well, uh, thank you though. Congrats! That's awesome. Thank you. Um, can I, uh, I? I I was also going to share that my band, yes, don't stop or we'll die. I was die, just going to say uh, is selling uh, uh, is doing a vinyl as well. Now, Matt, we had this planned for a while. I don't want you to think we copied you. God, are you kidding? You pre- you precede us in vinyl release. I <laughs> we're just okay. jumping on your caboose. Hello. Uh, well, and I think history shows. We were the first band ever to do a vinyl. And that includes when you could only get music on vinyl. Yes. (laughs) So my band, Don't Stop or We'll Die, you can go to don'tstopworlddie.com and pre-order a vinyl-only release. That means this collection of music can only be gotten this way. No streaming services. You have to get it this way. And we do this podcast called Song a Week. Yeah. We took... The first 50 songs we've done. Holy shit. We took the best 12 and we put them on this vinyl. It's called Beezas. B-E-L-L-E-Z-A-S. And am I not mistaken that if you open up this vinyl, you get a poster in the middle of it? Yeah, there's a poster. Of a, a double-sided poster? A double-sided poster. So it's a choose-your-own-adventure poster. Incredible. That was the alternate title for the album. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, people can go and they can pre-order it. So it's delivered on Tuesday, November 8th. They don't go out. You'd be a fool not to. You'd be a fool not to follow either band or both on social media because you will find out that we are very likely, won't give you any specifics, yes, playing a gig at one of our favorite venues in January. Also, there's a good chance we did keep a few vinyl in reserves after we send all these out, which we're doing this week. We might do a little small batch release for Christmas. So keep your eyes peeled on, you know, Townland Band at Instagram and Don't Stop or We'll Die on Instagram. Yeah. That's the handle, right? Yeah. Um, I love the idea of a small batch release, like much like our friend who gave us those cocktails. Oh, yeah. And I can announce officially that Townland has a Christmas song coming out this year. For real? We finished the mix last night. Christmas Townland. Yeah, Christmas Christmas in Townland. Boy, that should be the... I screwed up the title. Should have been that. No, it's called Christmas on the Rocks. No, I was like doing rocks. a nightmare before Christmas. Christmas Townland. Oh, yeah. Oh. Mm, bad. Oh. <laughs> uh, bad. What, what, what was your title? Well, it's called Christmas on the Rocks. And speaking Perfect. of licensed drink, it's all about drinking at Christmas. So, uh, People uh, love having some Christmas spirits. Yeah. Uh, what's your... Um, 
favorite uh so yeah uh 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 well, when's that coming out december uh, we don't have a release date yet be, well, it'll probably be earlier maybe november but mm-hmm. we're all finishing up all the details right now but the song Perfect. is in the can as Beautiful. they say what were you gonna ask though what was oh your favorite? i was just gonna ask what's your favorite um holiday imbibing or not mm-hmm. memory where you well, just have the only... warmest, coziest buzz. <laughs> oh man! You know what? I I was. It's only recently in life that I've discovered or developed my taste finally, better late than never, for spirits. So mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't associate Christmas with me drinking, although now I do. Mm-hmm. So like a good Bundaberg ginger beer with some whiskey. Aww. I'm currently making my own version of a cocktail I'm calling Christmas on the rocks to go with this song. So right now I'm experimenting with some bourbon, ginger beer, plum bitters, and fig syrup. And there's, I still need something else in there. The lemon is the best thing to cut the sweetness, but lemon doesn't feel very Christmassy. So Mm. I'm trying to find it. Uh, Can a lemon be replaced with like an orange, you think? Because remember- In weird old timey things, Santa leaves you an orange in your. My stocking. mom used to do that. She'd leave me an orange and an apple, and we're going to do that for Glenn. Maybe that's it. Because an orange, too, you express it and you burn it and mm-hmm. pop those oils in. It does that little fireworks show. Forget about it. Hey, the little orangey yeah. touch is nice. Good, good call, buddy. <laughs> um. All right. Well, should we should we read some Zenos yeah, and, then and then get we'll close to the up reason? I'm because I'm frothing oh. uh, much like Carter at the mouth. Oh to, my uh, god. Or it's more like Kane. Yeah. Or maybe it's more like Margaret. Well, or Nick's. <laughs> okay. Uh, here are some xenomorphs. Luke Tremblay. And um, he wanted his name permanently attached to Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Sorry you got Raising Kane. Uh, Jake Aww. Scott. <laughs> um, uh, he wanted his name read in the Halloween's epi- Halloween ends episode. Sorry to disappoint <laughs> Sorry. you. Uh, we, you know, we can't always accommodate all these. That's but true. This guy Grammahole want his name read by the Southern hey, lawyer. There he is. You're into order. Um, <laughs> Jordan Manners or Mans, and he uh, blue. Uh, mm, God, I think he's just good with how. <laughs> I, I mean, he's just real easy going. Um, Benjamin Wright. And um, basically, if you want to request, maybe put it in the subject because it's a little hard to get ah. to. I'm, 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 forgive me, I'm having trouble finding. Uh, uh, Jesse, uh, Endless Summer Kelly. Oh, nice. And he says the show makes him laugh like Fred Gwynn. That's nice. Uh, <laughs> oh, and this is Kayla's getting her partner's name, Bo, shouted out on the podcast for their birthday. All right. Very nice. Um, and Dylan Sindelar, what a nice name. Uh, and he or she or they would like it. Uh, oh, I think they're just good. You're with, oh, no, it. Southern Lawyer. There it is. Yeah. Southern Lawyer gets it out. And then finally, we have Chuck and Kristen of Freeman Street Records, which uh, they reached out to us uh, during the Townland Honey on the Hi Fi push. A good bunch of people. Check them out. Okay. That's all the business. And boy, I don't know where to start with raising Kane Paul. Let's start with you because 
any new listeners should know, and any old listeners will know, that Paul's my spirit guide through the world of De Palma, and I continue to be a babe in the woods. And every time I think I understand him, I see a new De Palma movie, and now I'm maybe more lost than ever. Help me through the wilderness, Paul. Well, where do hey, we I'll try, because, you know, as always, I don't want to be like the... Um, uh, kid that Neil Campbell and I once referenced who goes to a theme park once uh-huh. and then goes back a second time with his friends who are going for the first time and then is the expert on the theme park and is like, we want to go to this ride first because it's the fastest line because it was the fastest line the day that you went. So Pardon, I, pardon, it, pardon me if I may my expertise actually small. want that from you. I am going to Disneyland tomorrow. Are you? So, yeah, <gasps> I guess I will see if I I will use that expertise. So. Oh, yeah. You know what you should do is just walk around shouting Brian De Palma facts. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hey, buddy, the Mission to Mars ride is closed. <laughs> oh, uh, that's right. There was a Mission to Mars yeah. ride and a movie of his, right? Uh, yeah, and it was uh, tied in because Touchstone or Hollywood Picture. I mean, it was uh, Walt Disney made the, the Brian it, De Palma movie. But it wasn't like... Like Jungle Cruise is to the Jungle Cruise. Um, I, think it, I think there was a tie-in. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't this know. This guy, what I the can't chicken get a handle on this guy. And uh, hey, after Mission to Mars, he didn't make a Hollywood movie after that ever again. Wow. Everything, uh, he sh- they might have been released by Hollywood American Studios. Yeah. But like even something like um, uh, 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 The Black Dahlia was primarily filmed um uh in like overseas wow um that's right but in along with like femme fatale and yeah um redacted but as far as raising cane goes i first saw it after i had seen all the classic brian de palma thrillers outside of i hadn't seen obsession yet i've still never seen obsession um uh it's cool Okay. Uh, uh, I like it. Uh, the um, So I had seen, you know, Sisters. Never um, seen it. Uh, great. Uh, hey, we could do a whole De Palma de Club sometime. It's not a bad idea. And it's not a bad idea to but do. But it'd be drudgery. It'd be like homework. I don't or know not if it homework, would. But it just... would. I would certainly be interesting, and especially to do it in order, because part of it is that we're like cherry picking these, right. and I don't know... I mean, I I understand like chronologically where these are falling, but it's hard to track his, his well the way they work, effectiveness. Yeah, yes, and the way they start like he starts referencing his own work, and so oh. sometimes if you're watching them not in order, it's hard to know if one's referencing the other first or what uh, came from. Well, you. I figured it out with this one, that's for sure. <laughs> well, it looking uh, distinctly uh, like a 1992 movie probably helps in terms of like <laughs> letting you stabilizing you of what it came after. When when you're done with this, no, no, moment, what are we going to well, say? Well, that's just one of the overarching questions that I have before we get into specifics. Oh, what? Is what in this movie is, um, oh. Uh, not bonkers. <laughs> well, yes. Now, look, I loved watching this movie, yeah. but... Some movies are um, bonkers. Some movies are bonkers with a capital B. And some movies are all caps. Yeah, bonkers. that's this And one. I think this is an all caps so bonkers movie. what in this... I know what the moments are, but are they... Um, 
hackneyed repetition or self homage. And I don't know what's worse. I hate to say it, but like what he's, is he literally doing an homage to his baby's carriage scene in untouchables and dressed to kill with the, the twists and turns in this. I mean, I love it because by the end of, yes, of, of raising Kane that at that motel, you have the baby carriage from untouchables. Uh huh. The, uh, Man dressed as a woman in an elevator. Yes. Of dressed to right, kill. Right. You have the evil doctor dad from Sisters. Okay, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. And then you have the mother child. Uh, uh, damn it. There's one other like piece when I was watching, I was like, oh my God. And then Femme Fatale ends up making a whole thing out of spikes that are coming off the back of trucks. So the new element in Raising K that gets introduced, yeah. like, oh, a, 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 a sundial. The back so of the he truck. does a later homage to that. to that. But do you think it's, is it homage or, or is it just like, eh, I'm going to do this again? Uh, it's. Ultimately, I think to entertain. <laughs> okay. And so it's like all, I know this shit works. I want this all to work. So I'm going to use everything, but I think part B of it is for conversations like this, buddy. So you we really think that he's planting yeah. that seed to to make people talk. I think it's a it's a way to sort of. Um, I think he's a provocateur on all levels, and so I think when somebody starts saying you rip off Hitchcock. It becomes funny for him to not only rip off Hitchcock, but then himself and just be like, yeah, fuck you. Uh, it's it's this whole movie feels like a body doubles. The movie that feels like a fuck you. That's the one that feels like angry and kind of like you paint me as this misogynist or uh, gore hound. So I'm going to just be that and be like the bad kid you think I am. With Raising Kane, it feels a little like, um, I just, it seems like he's having like a, it's like more fun. Yes. Playful. Yeah. Rather than like trying to like uh, provoke a response. So when I just said like, I think he's doing it to kind of be like, for somebody to provoke somebody to kind of ask questions like that. I don't know if it's necessarily to provoke as much as like body double was. It uh -huh. could just be a fun romp. Oh, it's so goddamn I mean, perplexing. To well, me. what I was going to say was, I mean, when I watched all those De Palma thrillers, the like sisters, I would, you know, Carrie is, but like, it's not necessarily like one of these where it's like total, whatever this kind of thing is, like reality-based, <laughs> yeah. mystery, uh, dress to kill, blowout, body double. And so I'd seen those. And so when I saw Raising Cain, I knew that I was like in safe hands because <laughs> I had seen his other movies and knew they went off the rails and they always like pulled it off somehow. So <laughs> when, <laughs> when I first watched this movie, I had four distinct like, 
what the fuck is happening? Only four. (laughs) There is multiple ones, but like four, like vocalized. Yeah, me too. What? Me too. Like alone watching Raising Cain by myself and being like, what is happening? Yes. Uh, The first one is just how quickly... The alter ego, Kane, the bad guy, shows like yeah. within the scene and a half of the movie. Right. That's just like disorienting. There's a backstory for that. Mm-hmm. The other one is obviously the dreams within dreams, but when in the dream within a dream, there's a flashback and narration. No, when no, you mean internal up. monologue exposition Yes, that no one would ever tell themselves because they already know. Now, is that him fucking with us? Or I, I, I love this. This movie is bad. I loved watching it, but oh this movie God. is bad. Yeah. Okay, and, buddy. Okay. okay no, take no offense to <laughs> no, this no, because no. I am in your hands. I think most people think it's a bad movie. But I found this movie to be... This movie's worse than his best movie is best. <laughs> Say that again. This movie's <laughs> oh more bad than his best movie is good. <laughs> That's like the most damning phrase. Which <laughs> it's not phrase. It's saying that I don't trust <laughs> oh, this filmmaker. No, that I think he gets luckier more often than not. And I I cannot believe that a, a sophisticated experienced filmmaker made this movie it well, blows me away here's the way i look at it okay please so it had been like eight years since he had done body double yeah it is him coming back to like the genre that made him famous and when i first i hear you buddy i hear you i hear you when i <laughs> when i first watched raising kane i did think this is a guy who's so Knows all the tricks. He's not necessarily bored with them. Mm. But in the previous way that De Palma movies would go off the rails and sort of come back. But it was those flights of fancy that would like you most remember later when you think about a De Palma movie. It was almost like he became bored again or something where it's like. I'm going to do it and I'm not going to uh, feel the pressure of competency. It's, it, it, right. It's, or like I'm going to draw from my bag of tricks and not rest on my laurels, but roll around in my laurels or something, you know? <laughs> Well, and another completely different angle of looking at it. Yeah. That same way. Yeah. I was trying to think of what is this most like when I want, and I'm doing this because it's the highest praise (laughs) that I could give. Um, But I was thinking of the drive over here. It's a little like the White Album or specifically happiness is a warm gun Uh where it's like this person has mastered all the components of or these members of the last 50 years of pop and rock right and they're not necessarily bored with it they're just sort of like 
energized by the idea that you wouldn't necessarily have boundaries or restrictions on that. So you get something messy, but it has a a verve. Like so, he he has a sandbox that he most enjoys playing in, and it's this specifically. Yeah, and, and so be damned if it's repetitive. That's where he wants to play. Yes, and uh, if you listen to um, currently my favorite podcast right now, Video Archives, uh, with Quentin Tarantino and uh, uh, Roger Avery and Gala Avery, um, they just did a American Giallo a Jalo episode on Dress to Kill. And um, the way Tarantino talks about De Palma is that he's a science fair kid. And what he really, he's like a guy who likes to go out and break a motor down into its parts and see all the parts and put them together. And sure, he loves, I'm paraphrasing this very poorly, but sure, he loves uh, 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 thrillers and Hitchcock movies. But what he really likes about him is they're movies that you can disassemble, uh. look at all the parts like a scientist or his dad, who's a doctor, and just kind of be like, what's, how does this all work? And then like reassembling it into some weird kind of thing that still works, but it's your own invention or something. But I mean, it, so when I see Razy Kane and I see the different components, I'm like, uh, delighted because I liked. Yeah. Seeing the white shoes from Dress to Kill Again and Raising Cane, or my favorite version of it. Well, we can talk about when he, the swamp part when the car goes down, but we can talk about other stuff. This is a little. No, I, I think we have to just follow this thread because you're illuminating me. Uh, because okay. I don't, I, I, every time Poorly. the listeners, no, not at all. You actually, I, I did not think this was a good movie. I really enjoyed watching it, but I was like tampering down all my opinions not to like negate them, but I just wanted to hear your input on them before. I want them to inform me because I also, yeah. as confused as I am by De Palma, I'm just as uneducated on him. So, hey, hey, I mean, well, uh, the, the, the uh, 75% of I think audiences probably feel this way about raising Cade. So the fact that we get to have a, this dialogue as opposed to just the two of us either being totally against raising Kane or both totally for it. It's yeah. That this, no, I yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. begs the question, is it a filmmaker's not job, but they have to open the door for you in some way. And I just never felt like the door was open. like, I just, I felt as I always do with De Palma and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. It's so indulgent. And and this one felt almost petulant to the point of like a 12-year-old child going, me, me make my movie. Yeah. And uh, like I have it, this- Like how an inside joke can sometimes feel uh, uh, alienating. Yeah. And yeah. it just, and I understand like, of course, all artists have to draw on their own experiences, but there's something about his movies that are so narcissistic to me. I also noticed in this movie specifically, if you were to take away his budget, simply his budget and his R rating, if you could only give him a PG rating and a really cheap budget, you'd just have a soap opera with some great camera work. I will acknowledge that. <laughs> <laughs> the soap opera thing, uh, 
we can fully uh, explore that thread because that was. Um, I feel that's intentional in the director's cut that I also mm. watched. I watched mm. the theatrical and I watched the director's. I wish I had time this, so. to no, watch. No, no, no. So we can uh, talk about. Which is an interesting story in its own because it's not even his director's cut. Right. A fan read the original script. Yeah. I had heard this for years as a De Palma fan that Raising Cain, he re edited it before it came out. And then I was always like, God, I'd love to see that version. Then when it came out on the internet, I watched that version. So I'd seen it before. Then it got released on Blu-ray. Brian De Palma saw the fan edit, yeah. said, I like it. Thank you for doing that. Because it was based on his original script that the person found. And then uh, it's uh, a complete second disc on the Raising King so Blu-ray. what are your thoughts? Do you have a preference between the two versions? And does, um, it, does it help it? or? Well, if you go like looking at Raising the theatrical one as... This is Brian De Palma going, fuck it, I'm going full tilt bonkers. <laughs> it fits under that category because it is so strange. It's getting into Halloween 6 territory. So <laughs> in that sense, I'm starting to love it. <laughs> when you watch the director's cut version or the original version, um, it feels less bonkers and more deliberate in its moves and, and they really work. They're effective. So. Cause it's just like dressed to kill. It's just like 20 or so minutes of just Jenny. Right. Starting yeah. Out. So you get no Lithgow. Oh, and if I, if that version was released in theaters, the director's cut, and that was the, the version everybody saw. And, you know, maybe it had its problems that for the reasons why they read it. But if that just existed for 20 years, and then they release the theatrical version as some alternate version. People would be like, that is fucking crazy. Really? What they did. Like, they'd be like, no, the original version is the one that makes more sense. Interesting. So, yes, to your point, it is like Dress to Kill, where it's like the first 25 minutes or so, or Psycho, where you're following right. the, the story of a woman having an illicit affair and then sort of how her, the pressures of her life by making that choice and then getting killed. And then it's swapping over then to you get that as the first 22 minutes. And then the reveal that John Lithgow has a split personality is when after her sequence of dreams within dreams, she wakes up, he suffocates her with the pillow. Then they do the push in on his face to the dissolve to his flashback. And that's to him at the playground, the very opening scene in the movie, mm. which is then the first. Um, oddly enough, at some point, the movie just immediately catches up with its running time. And by the last 40 minutes, it's the same last 40 minutes. Right, because that's kind of unfolding yeah. in real time. Yeah. Like, uh, I clocked in to see uh, when um, uh, when the long take started. And it was like just like 30 seconds off oh, uh, wow. from the other version. I think that's only because the director's cut... In a weird, not entirely, it, this wouldn't be how it would be done, I think, if it was released as it was shot or something. Um, 
they reuse, they recycle one like twenty second piece again, like and I think that just adds for the connective time. tissue. Or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm but sure if it didn't, yeah. then it would essentially be you could see how it picks up right wow. where the other one does. But um, the thing I was gonna say though, at the um, uh, like um, yeah, the question that kind of you have to ask, like watching those movies, is like I his movies, I do feel like. Um, as long as somebody doesn't repeat themselves in the exact same way and I respect them and, <laughs> and love them and uh, apologize for everything they do uh, <laughs> no please uh, uh, I want you to sing praises and be yourself so obviously. similarly yeah. I think we've said this before the podcast it's like De Balma's never just outright ripped off Hitchcock. It's taking a Hitchcock thing and adding something like else. the car in the swamp. So this, yeah. And what's really good about raising Cain is it's not just about that swamp scene. Is it's not just him adding an extra thing, like you know, in Psycho, yeah. it's Norman is watching the car go down and Marion's in the car and the car freezes. It's not going to sink. The sun starts coming up. Norman's worried, like, oh, I'm going to get caught. Somebody's going to see the car. Then it goes back down, and it's okay. Uh, which already, anyway, in Psycho is, like, amazing, because that's the moment yeah. when you go, oh, I hope he gets away with it. Right. And then you're like, oh, wait, I was on Marion Marion's <laughs> side for the first 20 minutes. Now I want this guy to get away with killing her. In this scene, he's, you know, putting her in the swamp, and... Yes, it's a De Palma edition, but it, it's his major addition to cinema that nobody had before, and everybody's ripped him off since, which is the ending of Carrie when you think she's dead and the hand comes out. So it's kind of cool that his De Palma flair that he added is the specific flair of you think the person is dead, and then they pop up. So... The car's floating down. In this version, you see her in the window. Yeah. And then, I mean, the first time I watched Raising Kane, I'm watching it. I go, whoa, this is a lot like fucking Psycho. Yeah. It's pretty obvious what this is. Jesus, they're even doing the thing where the car stops. And because I was lulled into this is a Psycho homage. I wasn't expecting that body to scare me. Yeah, so she jumped up moment. and startled me. It was really terrifying to watch him go down into the swamp. Um, and if you watch the director's cut, everything seems sophisticated after that point as a psycho homage. It's almost as if you go, okay, we're going to do the first half hour of psycho, but what if instead of um, um, Janet Lee dying, Marion dying, she survived the drowning and she reappears in the third act or what if this is psycho but you didn't wait until the end of the movie to find out he had a split personality you find out right away he has a split personality and then you get four more <laughs> it, 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 like it is kind of going like clumps. let's take the first half hour psycho and start doing new things with it that does get lost in that theatrical version yeah. because it doesn't unfold like Right. Psycho does. Yeah. Um, but still, uh, the, the, the thing I was, the last, last thing I was telling you once about like Paul Schrader 
the screenwriter, the filmmaker. Yeah. He was saying, uh, you know, he talked like this, he's got a big old tongue. <laughs> and I love Paul Schrader. He's just like, his wisdom I've lived by. He's like, racism is a loser's mentality. Nobody's ever been racist unless they're a loser and they want to blame their problems on somebody else. Like, wow. Damn, Paul Schrader. Yeah. That's true. I've never heard yeah, anybody ever say really something is. racist where they're not a loser and trying to seem yeah, big. Loser syndrome. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing Paul Schrader uh, uh, said was um, the first... 40 years, whatever, that of movies, D.W. Griffith, John Ford, they were making the rules. And then he said his generation came along and their thing was breaking the rules. Then he said Gen X, the next generation, uh, the Tarantino sort of generation, he said they laughed at the rules. He said this generation after that is the... Post rules, no rules, which is sort of like he, he was just saying, I've worked now with younger filmmakers and they don't get hung up on, say, something like, why would somebody's internal narration pop up halfway through a movie? Like, hmm. it's just sort of like, let's just grab the components of movies that we love and we're not making rules, we're not breaking them, we're not laughing at them, we're just doing it and not thinking about rules. And when you watch the theatrical version of Raising Cain, it feels like a pretty like, whoa, uh, anti-establishment, like no rules. Like he's not only outdoing Psycho that broke a rule, he's saying like, that sucks. That's crazy. I'm going to go beyond that. And uh, I don't know. It's weird. I'm getting into the like wiggle room that you feel of the confusion about what's intentional a little bit in this movie because of the the different versions. Because if you watch the director's cut, it doesn't feel as much of a radical like F you, no rules, post rules. I don't care about the rules. It kind of unfolds by its own logic. The theatrical one that got released feels like a a little more interesting, like a maniac rated. Yeah, God, I'm never any closer. I also see you're like I actually dislike him more now. No, I well, this movie, <laughs> the goodwill that Body Double did, this mm. matched that for Bad Will oh, for me. Matched it or mashed it? Ma both maybe, <laughs> because I I think of you know I. I don't care if I sound like a Philistine. I mean, I really like Untouchables, but even in that, I see some some of that carpenter lightning in a bottle of, oh, there's weird things going on here. Is this intentional? Is it not? Then there's true mastery. This one just, I, I don't know what to say. I'm I'm left yeah. humbled. <laughs> I don't know. I, and then I see pictures of him on set during this time. Wearing a safari jacket and Always. Pl playing the Louis B. Mayer or, or you know, more, I'm sorry, it's Cecil DeVita de Mill yeah. and just going, is this a kid playing dress up and <laughs> a man without imposter syndrome who's actually a bit of an imposter? Or is he just some kind of vanguard and I, 
fuck if I know. And, and maybe it, maybe it really is movie to movie, you know, because I really think he yeah. failed in this movie and I should watch, I, I say I should watch his director's cut. I really should. But the fact that he couldn't even make his director's cut reading Brantley Palmer's notes that yeah. he had two editors and the editor couldn't make sense of it. You yeah. Know? His old editor, Paul Hirsch, she brought him back. They hadn't worked together since, uh, yeah. Maybe a blowout. Which and is a movie of his I, I would put top tier that I, I actually really, really liked Blowout. Yes. I've come to like Body Double. I love Untouchables. I don't love Mission Impossible. So it's not like all his Hollywood, you know, mainstream movies yeah. work for me. Yeah. I mean, I guess to give context of where this fell, if you were like a Brian De Palma fan or just, a, you know, a passing you acknowledged that his movies came out, it would be like Dress to Kill, Blowout, Scarface, Body Double, Wise Guys, what? The Joe Piscopo, Danny DeVito thing is like really then The Untouchables, Casualties of War, Bonfire of the Vanities, Raising Cain. So if you look at it as like wise guys, critically, commercially, shit, <laughs> untouchables, commercially a hit, critically respected. Yeah. Uh, casualties of war, his like prestige, Vietnam, this could win Oscars movie. Then prestige studio comedy that bonfire of the vanities that's commercially and critically a huge flop so like to come out of all of that that run of movies and then be like i guess i'm gonna go back to a thriller i haven't done that in eight years and like it's such a weird the return to it like when you were saying like you love blowout and that does feel like the return to this does feel like, is it like a return because there's passion there or is there a return because he's just trying to get his footing retreating be- before he goes and makes um, Carlito's Way and Mission Impossible, which are just big, clear commercial. Yeah. Know. Carlito's Way is interesting because I loved it when it first came out. Then I revisited it much later a while ago and thought it was pretty weak and now i'd like to see it again i'm curious where i'd finally land i liked it when i saw it i thought it was um i think i watched it though when i was really watching something with the eye of like i want 100 percent uncut de palma and i see that this is not entirely like i'm sure it is like he considers it his best movie carlita's way yeah. Really? Yeah. In that De Palma doc, you remember, uh, he's, he said he was watching it at some film festival. And as he was watching, he was like, I really don't think I'll ever make a better movie than this. See, now I don't trust him. <laughs> I think it for him, if I had to guess, it's where he feels the technique and the emotional impact is works together. Yes, but what he might not understand is the <laughs> two of them together might be so melodramatic that you're actually doing a disservice or something. That's what I last time I saw 
Carlito's way. I went into it going, yeah, I love this movie. And then it was like, whoa, this is so over the top. Yeah. So ham-fisted. Did you and, get to see it when you saw it when it first came out? Yeah, you I saw, saw it in the theater. theater yeah. Oh, fun. And I was a young man, you know, and I yeah. probably, it was just all that testosterone that's flying through his movies. and Especially you know, that movie. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. I mean, uh, and then Sean Penn. As yeah. is like a criminal attorney, Weasley guy. Yeah. yeah. God, I hope, I hope before I die, I land on one side of this because I don't know what well, to do. Uh, I'm lost. I mean, like when you, when you were saying just sort of like, uh, oh, uh, you're, you're sort of like, is this a child? Is this a narcissist or, you know, a megalomaniac? Like, in the same way that I wouldn't want to be close personal friends <laughs> with a bonkers person. Yeah. And I don't mean mental health. Right. I just mean like, hey, whoa, that person comes into a room and makes <sighs> yeah. their presence known. High maintenance. and Yeah. If it's two hours at a party once a year. I'm fucking down for that person. <laughs> I want to be all about that person. Uh, and but I don't want to befriend that person. Yeah. But I am so and it it's it's twofold. It's just liking the energy of that. But it really what it is is the comfort and maybe the dare say the coziness. Sure, yeah, that's a factor. Of somebody who Is clearly comfortable being themselves. That's for sure. <laughs> so those 70 movies are that's why they, they're the best. Is for some reason the gatekeepers were less on hand and you got the most insight into people's brains. Yeah. And I do feel like, hey, this movie's made in 1992, but it's a vestige of cuckoo. For sure. Um, 70s, uh, uh, like, you're just watching a filmmaker do what they want and take it or leave it. I mean, uh, maybe the hard part I have is that he makes me feel crazy because everybody I respect in film is telling me, no, this is good. And my gut is telling me this isn't good. So what's wrong with me? And I love it. That's like, you're speaking your truth. But, but what do I know? And I mean that I'm not being like falsely humble. That's why I keep asking you like, help me, help me. Because what am I missing? Uh, My friend, uh, Rick, who his taste in movie, I I've known Rick since, uh, first grade. We grew up loving movies. I would still say to this day, we're still, uh, 90% 90% of the time, check this movie out. Yeah. It's awesome. But, but, but. Um, but uh, 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 um, and I really respect him. He's got great taste. Don't like De Palma. Really? And does he say why? Um, it's this, it's what you're saying. Yeah. It, it, this, it's this thing of kind of like the style or whatever is so cranked up to this almost melodramatic level that it pushes me away. It doesn't invite me in. Yeah. And for it to feel inviting to others is even makes it even like, Uh, I don't mean to, I don't want to paraphrase, but it was just kind of like what you're saying. It's sort of like, and then the fact that every 
person I like who likes movies fucking likes the, it's just like, uh, I think maybe like salt in the wound or something. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I don't think you're a Philistine. I'm trying to, there's plenty of stuff I'm trying to think of. So much music where I have to listen or movies, music, TV, everything so much where if I listen to my heart, I'm like, I just really can't get into uh oh um <laughs> this might seem to say that I'm saying this but like Leonard Cohen is like somebody who people yeah. who have great taste love I listen to it and I go I can I can like <sighs> Yeah. I can do this. I can like Leonard Cohen. <laughs> then I can't. And then I go, what's this fucking, who cares anyway about right. this guy? Yes. You know what? That's interesting. Cause I've mentioned on this podcast, blasphemy to certain people that I'm not a Prince fan, but I recognize that guy's fucking talented. I see. Uh huh. Uh huh. I have no problem having the confidence to say, I don't like lost. I appreciate <laughs> people have, that's a taste thing. People <laughs> like it. Some people don't. I think it's, all smoke and mirrors and, and frankly insulting because of understanding, knowing that they went into it cynically, not having an ending and uh -huh. just kept it going and kept throwing specific clues at you to build a mystery with no conclusion, but not in yeah. a Kubrickian way where, mm -hmm. where there's depth. Yeah. Paul is right in the middle. Ah! I, I see talent, but I also see just some indulgent smoke and mirrors. What's Emperor's New Clothes? What's a talented... Maybe it's both, and maybe it's this perfect mix that that makes this guy this this persona and artist that we sit here and talk about because you can see it from both sides of the fence, and that in itself is interesting. But I don't think he's controlling that. I think we are in a weird way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We're putting more on him than he deserves, but then is that also the beauty of him? And is he like... A, a natural artist that nature created and he didn't. I don't know. What am I talking no, no, about? I hear you 1000%. <laughs> I mean, his um, uh, background is like Brechtian. That's so, true. I, so I think having like a sort of response. And that's what's crazy too is that, you know, I've never been like very educated over De Palma, but I was a theater teacher for so many years and technically still am. And I would, I would reference Dionysus in 69 because oh, because uh -huh. of its like Brechtian conflicts and and the uh -huh. immersive theater thing of it and I I knew about that wow that's funny then but I never any of the yeah. rest of his stuff and to think that this is where I landed with De Palma that I'm on a podcast I'm more like entrenched in his work than I ever was as a theater teacher and then yeah so, <laughs> so yes. like every time I say this guy's just an accident. And then you bring up Dionysus in '69. I'm like, well, no, that's a that's a good point. He, well, there is real substance. When there, you're so. saying though that, like, maybe <laughs> it, it, it's when he's in the middle, and it's hard to kind of. It could be like maybe when he writes his own stuff. Mm. Like, yeah, I think like uh, if it's a script by David Mamet, like The Untouchables or something. Yeah. Or um, interesting. Uh, did David Rabe uh, write Casualties of War? And I'm then sure. um, David Kep 
with the well you didn't like Carlito's way or Mission Impossible but like maybe when the, the it's a little harder for him to go up his own butt or something right if he has to Stephen King essentially or Scarface yeah. Oliver Stone right yeah um, man uh, we haven't even talked about the movie I know, this is crazy I know. Yeah. it's certainly not the Logo Loco oh. uh, <laughs> uh, can I um, just tell you one little it's funny where you're like right now when you're like Oh, it's so funny. I'm talking about it more now than I ever did when I was uh, yeah. doing a theater class. I had a similar thought, and it's at the top of my notes here, which was um, uh, I saw this movie in college. I was really getting into De Palma at the end of high school. Totally fell in love and went bananas throughout college. And I graduated... I had, when I graduated college, I had seen Raising Cane. Uh, the summer before I moved out to Los Angeles, I was working a, a job at a, the Walmart in our town. Um, and because it wasn't a super high-paying job, I was extra, extra conscious because I knew I was going to be moving out to L.A. in August that I really had to save money that summer. The biggest overblown terrified fear I had was that I would find myself six months after living in LA completely broke right. and having to go back to Iowa, like um, sad and disappointed. Yeah. So I'm saving like money that whole summer. And I remember seeing in the bargain bin, like wire bargain bin end cap of DVDs for $5 like a Raising Cane DVD. <laughs> and I think it was like full screen too. It wasn't even like a white. And I was like, I so want to buy that. I love De Palma and I would love to go home and buy that, bring it home and watch it. And it would be such a, a gift to be able to watch it after this shitty job I don't like. But I never did. I, For five ninety nine. Oh God, this is like... The perfect um, example of the struggle of me liking De Palma. Do, do the I toil buy, the toil? Do I buy the DVD or do I save the money? Um, do I pay a dollar extra for Chucky Five to own it rather than rent it? Well, I think about, of course, anytime I'm making that choice of renting or buying, and it is the five dollars. I'm immediately back summer 2004, being yeah. like. It's hard to buy five dollars uh, when you wanted that <laughs> Raising Cane DVD, and you didn't do it. You're gonna do it now? It's insane. <laughs> my own little cane on my shoulder, being like, "You should buy the DVD, man." What's wrong with Jack Nicholson? Uh, <laughs> but um, Raising Schmidt. <laughs> what? I was watching this movie now and reflecting on that and how I never bought the DVD. I did think I am so grateful that I get to do a podcast uh, with a buddy yeah. that is supported by listeners. Uh, that like, uh, I'm not toiling away wondering if I could afford or pay for Raising Cane. I bought Raising Cane a two disc blu-ray so i could watch the director's cut 
and then I get to talk about it yeah. with a buddy. Yeah, oh, I, I, I'm in so much gratitude. I, I, I haven't oh, like reflected on it that way. Uh, that, that's super cornball. No, I get it. There's nothing about my confusion or even sometimes distaste for De Palma that has an ounce of regret. Only. The fact, even when I'm watching it, I'm like, whoa, I'm seeing a one of a kind experience here. And then, yes, getting to come here and not only talk about it, but to get your input on this thing, which is so helpful to me, ends up confusing me more because you do draw me towards the side of understanding him. And then I'm, I, I watched this movie and I go, like, okay, I get it. I'm not a De Palma fan. Then I talk to you. And it's not me just being swayed, other than you making such your infection infection no, your my infection affect, of affection no, yes <laughs> is infectious and and i appreciate that well uh hey it, it, it's um i want you to know when you have the, that response i see it as a sophisticated film goer movie lover working through it and asking like, and I don't mean like working through it, like to get to the solution, which is, I mean, like, you're like, I don't, I'm not having this response. Let's talk about it is like the best. Oh, you're, you're my big brother through the, through the De Palma life. And I appreciate it. Well, should we take a peen cane and then uh, (laughs) we can come back? Yeah. We'll be right back. With and Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. With Corley and Ryan. Okay, we're back. <laughs> I'm just finishing up a protein bar because I need an energy boost. Because that's what you do to me, De Palma. You need to give me an energy b- boost in the intermission, De Palma. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I, I, I just thought of this um, before uh, we jump into it. I was, uh, I did remember that, um, um. In uh, the TV series I did with my wife, Leslie Arfin, Mm -hmm. our show Love, Um, the character I played, Gus, uh, is a big De Palma fan. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a... uh, That's why I didn't get the role. (laughs) Hey, you were good, man. You uh... (laughs) The... uh, uh... 
but there's a raising cane poster uh in uh, my character's bedroom and then when i have to when i get kicked out and i move into like the oakwood style uh furnished living apartments uh, you can see in the closet is a tucked away uh, raising cane oh poster. Oh my god, that's amazing! Uh, like the detail being like, uh, I had to move out, but I still really like my frame <laughs> poster, so I'm gonna just <laughs> keep it in the closet until I have to move out next time. Uh, but uh, we all—it was fun because we got a. Who cares? It's not like they asked Brian to palm itself, but we got permission to use it and stuff from a. Uh, from Universal. Oh. It's not like they call them right. Uh, but we did get permission. Um, anyway. Uh, so, Matt. Yeah. In case anybody was in suspense there, did they get permission? <laughs> Don't worry. We did. Um, now, uh, 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 okay. Lithgow. Is this... Peak, peak gal. I mean, as far as gal. scene chewing, I mean, the, the his oh he, the God. villain in Cliffhanger is pretty big. Yeah, the There's, following year. So right. this was when the gal was a, a gougin. He was chow. The gal was the chow. Gal was a chowin. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I was thinking there was a part where when the fifth character got introduced where it was like the little boy character. And I was like thinking like, I wonder if John Lithgow cinema's greatest scene chewer loved being able to play five characters. Oh, boy. oh my God. I mean, it's already like an actor's dream, but for a particular actor, uh, it is their wettest dream. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's some serious uh, achuri going on, right? Uh, what are your feelings about Lithgow? Uh... I it's hard not to like him, and even though I don't always love his performances because they're too over the top, it I, is hard not to like him. Uh, You're yeah, right, and especially where he's settled. You know, he's settled in a little bit more of a believable. He's grounded a little bit. It's like uh -huh. Gary Oldman to me. Gary mm -hmm. Oldman was so actory in the beginning, and now he's just mm -hmm. kind of. He's just kind of sitting better in his skin. I think mm -hmm. Lithgow's the same way in The Crown. And then um, I watched The Old Man, that show. He's really kind of grounded in that. Good golly, you're right. Uh, uh, like in terms of other actors of his age and his generation, he has really aged into a latter day career that's like very yeah. respectful and he's not doing whatever straight to. Uh, VOD like uh, uh, movies where he's playing some he might have at some point he kind of had the similar trajectory of like a Michael Caine where they would just kind of do that's true some real shit movies for a while in the middle of their career yeah they but it doesn't um, tarnish them they kind of no yeah keep... they somehow yeah. weathered the storm Gene it's just Hackman being tall it. it must be I think it is if you're like a tall actor who do, who keeps their skin taut long enough yeah. you'll be working That's for the rest true. of your life he was on Conan and he was so sweet and great, oh, really? gracious and and he's like real deal theater right did he do yeah was it Juilliard or was it Yale drama school? I don't I know yeah. but uh, yeah I remember I saw him live in a reading, oh. a charity reading of Twelfth Night, where he played Malvolio, and Tom Damn. Hanks was in it. Um, 
it was like it was basically like CAA took all their A-list stars at the time and did this one night reading of Twelfth Night where it was kind of like Wait, did Martin Short do that too? He may have one year. I don't think okay. he was there when I did it. Somebody went to a Shakespeare reading with Tom Hanks and Martin Short and they said at some point Martin Short during the Shakespeare play reading got into like a Jiminy Glick outfit. I'm sure he did. He probably also did a full song. <laughs> and I say that with love. That guy is a showman. My favorite thing is when he would go on Letterman and when he'd come out after he'd shake Letterman's hand and he'd turn to the audience. This is like four years into his career he's already doing this. Turning the audience and going, thanks for remembering. <laughs> he's insane. Oh. But Lithgow is like the that is perfect camp. Indulging in showbiz, making fun of it while also doing it. Is, yeah. yeah. But what were you saying, Lithgow? Well, uh, that role in Twelfth Night Malvolio is just kind of this uptight uh, just kind of um, ignorant but arrogant role, uh-huh. and he was so good in it. He was just born to play that, you know, as as a sweet person in, in yeah. real life, seemingly. Yeah, I mean, I think he's really great, actually. I mean, certainly it's like ham and cheese, big, t- big ham and cheese sandwich with yeah. his acting here. But like... But... <laughs> <laughs> it's each character is distinct. Yes. And <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm not trying to be snotty by saying right that. There. I'm, just, I'm saying no. there is a true thespian's crispness. Absolutely. To the portrayals that oh, sure. really works. And if it had just been a On movie star who a 40 movie feet star. away. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if it had been a movie star, if it had been Richard Gere or whatever, who just kind of gets by on good yeah. looks and charms, uh, it wouldn't work. Absolutely. It, 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 he grounds this like movie in a way that's really uh, powerful. He, I, I, uh, I, it's possible for me to believe that he did an amazing job at this and at the same time i absolutely can't take him seriously in this movie well i mean for years my friends and i who we had a De Palma club when we first moved to la and stuff we would love saying hickory dickory yeah it's fun he's certainly fun to watch but but uh, yeah yeah you're like little doses i mean i know i definitely had a Lithgow um, revulsion uh, uh, response when I went to that, the first Planet of the Apes reboot movie where he was like the dad with Alzheimer's. Uh, the Not the Tim Burton one. The, no, the, the, the one with James Franco. Right. Where oh, the God, monkeys are. about that, yeah. They're created because they're trying to find a serum to cure Alzheimer's That's for right. John Lithgow and only John Lithgow. <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> the actor, for the actor, John There's Lithgow. a part... Where Lithgow's doing full on playing to the back row of the th- of the the theater, like oh. hands shaking and like head yeah. moving, and I remember seeing the theater like opening night, being like, "Fuck off, <laughs> <laughs> dial it down, dude. <laughs> this is tasteless. Go apes." <laughs> yeah, go apes. Don't go ape shit, John Lithgow, <laughs> with your portrayal. Of a man with Alzheimer's. Well, you get Lithgow in contrast to Lolita Davidovich in this. Uh-huh. It is 
it's another thing. Just like every single element of De Palma's movies have a disparity to them that they awake and they put you to sleep. They push, they pull because she's so, so even nothing. within the, the two leads. There's this. Yeah. Cause I, I found her to be completely no disrespect, just ineffective in this and just empty and kind of vapid. And part of it wasn't her fault. It's these voiceovers she has to do within her head, but just the delivery. Mm-hmm. I, I just, there was no passion in the character for me. And it seems like such a passionate role. And, there's no chemistry between them. Obviously, I know there probably wouldn't be, but yeah, I just I don't. And then to think, and then that, what, do you like her scenes with um Stephen Bauer's character, the not Jack? Particularly guy? no, because <laughs> that guy too. Everybody they just seem like television actors to me, being shot in a televisual looking soap opera, and then just the weird coincidence that. De Palma's daughter's named Lolita, which is also a little weird. And then he's got a Lolita. Did he put her in this movie just because he he's obsessed with the story of Lolita? And why are you naming your daughter? And Lolita? the Davidoviches. Yeah, Come on, that's close enough. Uh, yeah, the uh, uh, um, uh, her the like soap opera element and, and sort of like. Her not having the oomph of the movie when, uh, and I'll just be doing this as an interesting point of comparison here and there. I'm not going to spend the whole time going well in the other. Yeah. But in in the in the director's cut, the first shot is the one of the point of view shot, her point of view, walking up to the shop and then looking in the TV with the heart mm-hmm. in it, and that looks like a soap opera. The yeah. like. And it's almost like framing her in her own soap opera. And when you watch the first 20 minutes of the movie, that more than anything else is the thing that gets lost in the theatrical version is the control of the tone. Because that first 20 minutes intentionally feels like a romance movie with not even a hint of a thriller. Because you can compare it to Dress to Kill, but Dress to Kill has this opening sequence where she has a dream where she's attacked in a shower. Mm -hmm. And then the movie continues and follows her life. And you're like, okay, I know a threat of violence is out there. In this version, it is just, it feels like a romantic subplot. And it almost, when you watch it, it peaks I feel intentionally in the soap opera like element of it that story finally comes to a head and the movie transfers over to um John Lithgow at the moment where they're in such a soap opera setting of the hospital room where it's snowing outside and the bedside doctor is kissing the man like and the music is so syrupy I think it's intentional where it's supposed to be the first 20 minutes was like a lifetime movie or whatever the equivalent, like a romantic movie. And then it becomes a thriller, but it's not just a classy thriller, like dressed to kill. Mm-mm. It becomes like a trashy, <laughs> trashy thriller. So the fact that there wasn't any hint of a thriller to begin with, it was just pure romance. And then when it does become a thriller, it's like, canted angles of like guys smoking in shadows and shafts of light where it's just so over the top that like 
jarringness feels intentional. When it's split up and put in the middle, the soap opera element goes under the window, but also just you're following her story and she doesn't feel like less of a, a dope. Interesting. Because you're like, literally the movie opens in her point of view. So you're following it through the whole thing. But what would you say is De Palma's most nuanced movie? Because that is not his strong suit. And I'm curious, because I don't think there is such thing as a nuanced De Palma movie, but what is his most nuanced? You know, I went and saw Dress to Kill at the New Beverly yeah. uh, a week and a half ago. Yeah, it could be that. Uh, and I saw that and I, I felt like, feels like it's definitely maybe like the classiest. Blowout was pretty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, you know, Pino Dinaggio does the music in this movie. This is my favorite part about every De Palma movie that he's De Pino Dinaggio. De Pino Dinaggio. And when I uh, uh, went to the new Beverly, um, a little bit like, you know, uh, I had friends in Iowa who who dug De Palma. We loved De Palma. But never in my wildest imagination did I think I could live in a city where a De Palma movie is shown on 35 millimeter, period. But that, it sold out. <laughs> and when Pino Dinaggio's name comes on string, screen, People cheer and <laughs> applaud. I'm like, oh my God, I could cry. I was like, this is the best. Well, my second I'm surrounded note, by people who applaud at Pino Dinaggio's name. My second note is Pino exclamation mark. Yeah. I Do love you, him. Is this your, no. What's your favorite Pino? I don't know. Pino uh, Grigio. Pino, Pino de Grigio. I don't even know outside of De Palma anything about him. You know, yeah. I, I just know that he's a highlight of these De Palma movies for me, for sure. Um, he did the score for uh, our Piranha. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. that was probably That's our true. favorite. Yeah. Um, so the, we've seen the, this logo before, this uh, universal yeah. Spinning globe. Yes. Very um, um, nondescript, very generic one. Yeah. It, it, they scrubbed the 75th anniversary part off it, but it's the, what well, mm -hmm. came out a couple of years before that. Um, and also Universal at this time, this is when they were doing cool things of giving uh, filmmakers like Brian De Palma or Sam Raimi or Robert Zemeckis sort of not big budgets, but smaller size budgets to do carte blanche genre movies. Mm -hmm. So like Dark Man or Death Becomes Her right. or uh, Army of Darkness. Um, uh, so I think it's like actually a really, oh, uh, Wes Craven with the people under the stairs. Mm. It's kind of an exhilarating time period because obviously we're not in any reboot time. The chapter is closed on Freddy and it, it does feel like studios thriller and horror filmmakers are giving it a real go yeah to try to start a new thing um so uh i don't know i i um and the fact that like psycho is a universal movie it feels right. like it's a fitting. um oh i was just gonna say this is De Palma and lithgow's third time together so blowout 
Uh, and then before that, uh, uh, Obsession. Oh, okay. And you'd love that because he plays Count Locke so long. Oh, boy. New, New Orleans loyal. <laughs> oh, he's a lawyer? He's a lawyer. Oh, my God. He's, got, he's from the Bay. Oh. The, um, that opening of the little nanny surveillance video on the yeah. screen and it's all pixelated. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. And it, and before you get there, you've got the white titles on black, which is really another trope. I know that's like common for movies. But yeah. Other, you know, we, these yuppie movies just love the classy kind of serif font, white over black. You're right. And uh, yeah, I guess we haven't really talked about this as a yuppie thing, but it's a NorCal, early 90s yuppie. It feels like it, sure. it could be a couple towns away from the hand that rocks the cradle. Where was it shot? Uh, I think uh, uh, it was a fancy area outside of San Francisco. Palo Alto? Yeah. It's crazy how sunny this movie is and also like how they get blow mist in for these park scenes when it's a sunny day it's just so <laughs> oh, you're right, so de palma man yeah. once again sun and mist two things you never really <gasps> see together yeah this is, it reminds me more of like scarface and stuff how it's like a noir that's like so overly it's so sunny yeah there's like I rarely know. when anybody's ever in a darkened room yeah it's weird even when they're in a room it's pretty yeah um uh so the names that pop up, Paul Hirsch, his former editor, uh, Gail Ann Hurd, mm -hmm. his, his wife, wife, who um, after uh, the failure of the bonfire of the vanities, him and Gail Ann Hurd got together. They had a child. She previously was married to James Cameron. Gail Ann Hurd seems like the coolest person yeah, in the world. Yeah. Has produced so many uh, awesome movies mm -hmm. that people will love forever. Um, but also, I just think it's like really cool that it's like uh, James Cameron and Brian De Palma seem like two tyrants. I know. Tricky that's... fellas. And if she can make those boys. <laughs> she seems pretty cool. Yeah, and and pretty what right makes on. her seem maybe even cooler is she probably had enough at some point both times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like you said, two hours at a party—that's fine. But either one of those, I don't want to sit next to on a coast to coast flight. Yeah, or yeah, somebody has to drive home for that party with that person. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and but. I, you know, the fact that they were married, he said they were, their shooting locations were just down the street from where they were living at the time where they had their own child. Yeah, um, that's right. There's an argument you could make where it's like when a filmmaker goes and does their genre, they, a, like a thriller or somebody else makes a comedy uh, and they're prolific, they just have to fill it in with biography. Uh -huh. And so uh, Brantley Palmer said this in his notes that he shared, but he's like, I think this is a Brian De Palma's most personal movie because it yeah. is like seems to have some preoccupation with raising kids, staying at home, who does what roles in the family, um, but also like his dad uh, is a was a surgeon, 
huge prick of a doctor who terrorized the family. He had two other brothers. One is a complete right brain scientist. The other is a complete left brain, like poet artist. And right in the middle there is Brian De Palma trying to be both, trying to please his dad. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. But also his mom, you know, the, the big, his story of like, you know, Martin Scorsese is like, I had asthma and I couldn't play. So I watched outside my yeah. window. And that's how, you know, his is, he suspected his dad was having an affair. Right. Because he was, he was never home anyway. But then he goes, catches his father with um the woman the nurse the nurse practice a nurse and uh he takes a knife out Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean all these elements are in every devote like adultery blade nurse uh and like uh and then and um surveillance yeah right didn't he set up he set up his and that's uh, in dress to kill like where he set up his own surveillance system to catch the dad in the act so He's not using a camera to make art. He's using it to like catch somebody. And yeah, was it a camera or was it just audio? I don't remember. I think it was. Um, I believe it was a camera. I, I don't know if yeah. it was like a dress to kill, where it was like a took a picture every eight and a half seconds or whatever. Yeah. Um. But uh, you know, uh, it's not just artists and filmmakers who do this, but. Uh, you could make an argument somebody's personality gets carved a lot if they feel they have to protect and give love to a mother who's not getting it from the father. And uh, and that feeling of like helplessness. Uh, So that's why he's like, uh, in all of his movies, it's sort of somebody trying to... And I think his mom then destroyed her it just like wrecked her life (laughs) so you'd be like fuck i sort of blew up the affair my mom found out about it didn't make anything better i was grasping for some truth maybe i shouldn't have grasped for truth it's like all the movies i like so raising cane uh, i don't know even when it's just cool when somebody makes a genre like like et or something that's just it's about a guy's divorce growing up yeah. You can look at it as just like a, but then when somebody makes a movie like, who the fuck cares? Uh, uh, always, <laughs> or uh, fuck, even Mission Impossible, when it when they're just uh, uh, that has no verve to me because yes. I'm just like, where's the biography or where's your weird brain? Right. Um, but what do you think about this thing? Was telling to me in the notes of of. Brantley's that um okay here's Brantley writes there's some debate about the intentions but after the disastrous press screening of Raising Cane De Palma himself rewrote the press kit changing the general vibe from the film being terrifying to being wickedly funny some insiders claim this was damage control on De Palma's part something he and his PR team denied Apparently opened my eyes to the. I did not know that. That's so, some Tommy Wiseau notes. level, like uh, <laughs> retconning and PT Bartomita. Yeah, and that tells me if that's true, and I I would be more inclined to believe it than not that, that he doesn't he 
he was trying to be sincere with a lot of this and it was I don't know. I know when I read that it reminded me of the uh Mommy Dearest um release, which was it came out, people were laughing at it and treating it like camp. Uh-huh. And so the third week of release, Paramount was like She's the biggest mother of them all. And it was oh like, it was God. intentional that this is oh, trash. Yeah. Uh, so that story reminded me of that. You know, I, I told you that one time in Body Double, remember when they kiss and they're like the camera's swirling around them? Yeah. And my friends and I laughed in the theater when we went to the revival. The guy turned around to the front row in front of us and was like, you want to tell me what's so fucking funny? Oh. And we were like, uh, well, we talked about it later. We were like, De Palma wants to make us laugh. That's supposed to be funny. Why? What's this guy's hang up in front? It's so funny that people could get that mad about, you know. But, but that just goes to show I you know. what those movies do. That's crazy. So then he, I was, years later, I'm watching an interview with De Palma and he's like, you know, there's sometimes where I realize I overstepped. There's a moment in Body Double when they kiss. I had, and I expect that was a flourish and people started laughing and I realized I went overboard. I went too far. Yeah. And that was like, a huge wake-up call for me where yeah. I was like, oh, maybe it ain't all a joke. No, so this sure is another of example is. of the maybe uh, it ain't yeah. all a joke. It reminds me of this time when, you know, when I was in junior high, I was obsessed with Vietnam and Vietnam movies, uh-huh. and Platoon, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. And I sat down to write a comic book and draw a comic book. And, and I remember like, so it was so serious, you know, like I get buku dollars. I don't want your ass out there in the bush. You're on my <laughs> oh six, my God, you know, yes. just using as not even lingo, just as much lingo and as little English as I could use. And I remember showing it to my aunt and she cracked up. She's like, this is really funny. It's just, she thought I was being oh. like ironic. And I remember kind of going, oh yeah, it's funny. All right. That's a great story, Matt. <laughs> Oh, uh, but now I bet if she went back and revisited, a tear would form in her eye. And she'd be like, I, I misunderstood this. I don't know. I still have that somewhere. I gotta find it. <laughs> when I we had these editing rooms in college, and uh, you had to wait for to get your computer, and uh, you'd hear sometimes people's audio coming out of a speaker above the things, and I'm waiting to do it, and I start hearing some acting coming out of the speaker and I'm like, Oh, that is some terrible acting. I know what they're going for. They're (laughs) going for this kind of like, we're everyday people and we talk normal, but it's so fucking fun. Oh, this is my audio. This is my. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cause I wasn't hearing distinct words. I was just hearing bad acting. I was like, oh, that's mine. So that was my uh, own. We could do a whole episode of these things because this is real. Making adja- something adjacent. getting kicked in the nards. Uh, well, I was walking with my younger brother to a movie. Yes, and a girl see. drove by in a car and went, hey, she's pretty hot. And it was my sister. <laughs> it was far enough away. That's okay. And my brother has not let me live it down. That's okay. That's <laughs> a real Game of Thrones movie. <laughs> Well, it makes sense, you know. It's all come. There's a gene pool that chose attraction there. Well, it shouldn't should be the opposite. In fact, <laughs> it shouldn't be that. Look, we never consummated. <laughs> we just dated for a while. It was very, very decade platonic. Yeah, just made out. 
It was fine. It was fine. Did you ever have, uh, you know, because I had two older sisters. There was occasional times where like an older guy would be like, hey, you ever seen your sister naked? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I had a guy become my friend to get to my sister, an older guy who wanted to hang out with me and then learn. And I suspected it. Guys are so fucking funny. This girl will totally love me if she knows I'm friends with her little brother. Which was not the way to my sister's heart. (laughs) Well, nobody. Nobody wants to be like, this guy's hanging out with my little brother. And I suspected it. And I was like, do you kind of like my sister? He's like, no, no, no. And then he and I are hanging out. And my sister comes home. She's like, sorry, Gabe, I, I can't go out with you. I'm sorry I didn't get back to you. And he... Did like a comic version, knowingly comic of like ooh, pulling his collar, looking at me like, oh, you caught me, buddy. And <laughs> well, then, he, then he broke my um, gun, my model gun that I This built. guy was, a, he, yeah. this was your own version of a yuppie nightmare where You're like somebody kidding. comes in, has some weird romantic feelings, doesn't get it, trashes the place and leaves. Yeah, he wrecked Homewrecker. Oh, I don't That's like that That's my guy. sister. I date her. Uh, I'm pretty sure I told this story before, but there was a guy, Dave J, we'll call him. But yeah, Gabe Cray. I mean, sorry, Gabe K, you know who you are. But uh, uh, sister, I would have been nine or 10, and I'm at the pool, and this guy, he wants to, he's got a crush on my older sister, so he's hanging out with me at the pool, <laughs> and I'm doing this thing where I'm like hanging off the ledge inside the water and kind of monkey yeah. crawling myself across yeah and he's doing it with me and he's like my sister he, he liked my middle sister who's four years so he's hanging out with somebody i was probably nine and he's like 13 yeah same with gabe he was a year or two older <laughs> so we're like monkey crawling along and i remember he goes um first of all he said it was reciprocal because my sister was like Later was like, hey, if you you should ask mom if so and so could ever spend the night. And I'm like, mom ain't buying that. Whoa. She's not gonna buy this like that. I'm the night, you know. Who are you? So the they were both in cahoots. This wasn't him trying to. Wow. So I already knew this was up. Like when he was hanging out with me, I'm like, I know Anne likes him and he likes her, and I'm just now the a pawn. But we're doing <laughs> we're doing monkey crawling at the the pool. And I remember to get on my good side, he goes, um, Paul, you got some muscles. <laughs> like, yeah? Yeah. Like when you're hanging on the ledge like that, you got some real muscles there. Oh, cool. Thanks. <gasps> hey, you want to spend the night? <laughs> <laughs> and you did? No, 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 no. I knew better than that. I also do like, that is going to make me, if this happens and I ask her to feel that, I'm going to feel so weird yeah. all evening. I don't want to be a You're part of this. You're in your room going like, I'm a pimp, but I'm buff. Yeah, at least he thinks I'm buff. At least your guy was like complimenting your physique. Mine was like, hey, I heard you make squibs. You want to get together and make some squibs? Is that what his yeah. in was? Yeah. Uh-huh. And we were in theater together, but I was also thinking, what if you and I, our friendship is we just didn't know the other one had seen our older sisters and we're both really into each other's older sisters. And that's what this whole friendship has been. <laughs> that is like a early aughts comedy I know. with like because, Paul, you do have nice Jason muscles. Biggs and Zach Braff. <laughs> we were best friends. I didn't know I had a boner for a sister. <laughs> I didn't know I had a boner for his sister. <laughs> what, what were you saying? Though? I was saying you do have nice muscles. <laughs> Wish, can I spend the night? 
<laughs> you should uh, sister seen anybody? <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, 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 the um, we start on that playground. You meet them. They get in the car. This is uh, the first kind of like, whoa, what the fuck is happening when the cane shows up? Right. And with cane comes the duchiest Dutch angles I have ever seen. The cantiest so, of the canted Those angles. shots are so Dutch, they're wearing clogs. <laughs> windmills, babe. They got their finger on a dike. Is that why they're dike. called Dutch angles? Because it's like the camera's on a windmill? Oh, I don't know why, but Just that makes good tilted. sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah. And... Like he's saying, "Hey, your twin brother." But I'm like, "Is there one person oh. in the universe who would watch this movie and think their twin brothers and a twin brother like you would just be like this?" Do I mean, they're doing the thing where like they don't even have the, and I love it. They don't have the other one's shoulder, so it can only be that oh, person. Of you know? course, yeah. Do you think when Flight Fight Club came out, De Palma was like, "I did it first. <laughs> well, you know, we were going to maybe do Bad Influence. Yeah, uh, as a yuppie nightmare. Somebody who wrote Fight Club definitely saw Bad Influence. Really, it is like I want to do Bad Influence, but I can't just do that. Uh, I'll just make it that it's his like inner voice telling him to like be a a punk ass. Oh, how funny! Um, but the uh uh um uh, if you're watching this though, it is funny. You would think. Oh, he's kind of flirting with her. I know I'm going... I'm, this is a thriller because the credits were kind of creepy and bright. Like, um, but you don't really have any sort of extended coziness, real life before the bonkers lid is pulled off. I don't find this movie very cozy. I don't find it uncozy, mm. but also what's the time metaphor i know is it because he's playing with time and dreams and memories and flashbacks well the first shot that's another thing so in the director's cut is her face is framed in the tv and then it pans over a bunch of clocks yeah and if you saw that as the first thing you would be like i this movie's clearly gonna be something with clocks isn't that the same in the theatrical no, in this one, the first thing you see is uh, it's panning down on a playground, and he's walking up to uh, the other mom who he takes out in the car and uh, kidnaps her boy, her baby boy. In the theatrical? Yeah, the theatrical, the first scene is where um, Carter is... With that other mom, with his daughter, and he's like, she's like, oh, I'll give you a ride. And then she gets in the car, puts her son in the back and his daughter in the back, and then they're in the front seat. Really? Well, you remember when, what, what, what are you thinking? That it's a... Uh... I thought they opened in the clock shop. And and then Carter comes in and she's had the little exchange with her paramour. Did you watch the director's cut? I don't think so because John Lithgow's in the opening as well. Yeah. Did I? Did I watch the, the assistant the, director's cut? 
the first shot in the theatrical is it fades in on the playground above it and then it kind of like starts tilting down and as it's tilting down john lithgow's like walking with his kid and he says to the woman like oh i was supposed to meet so-and-so but she's not here oh well i can give you a ride and then it cuts to her driving and him riding shotgun and then what and then he does the thing where he pretends to sneeze no that's later in the movie in what i saw so you saw the director's cut how did you watch it i watched it on plex if the first thing you saw was clocks yeah that's the director's cut and i still didn't like it (laughs) (laughs) that's the biggest twist of this this twist is bigger than anything the movie could come up with oh my god so there's a version out there that's worse (laughs) yeah (laughs) let me see hold on i'll do i mean it has to be Let's see, let's see. But I thought the director's cut that was that John Lithgow wasn't in the first 20 minutes, but that's not true. It's just focused on Jenny. Yeah, and it doesn't entirely work as like a psycho fake out because of that, because John Lithgow passes through as her husband, and you're like, yeah. well, John Lithgow ain't right. nobody. Yeah, but they don't they don't really so tell you, you much about it. Right, him. right. So you're like, he has to be uh, coming back in some way. Yeah, let's see here. Uh Raising... Love your plex, dude. Thanks, man. Dude, love your plex. Raising Kane. You and got muscles. Is... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, of course, to Stephen Glander, who sets me up with this. Um, I mean, it doesn't say anything about it, but it must be, right? Let's see. So when you... Uh, now it's taking forever. Here we go. Okay, there's Ooh, familiar. Uh, Ooh, logo see, loco. Um, the um uh um uh, what's the little um thing you sing at the end of the universal jingle? And the candyman can and the lollipop gill. <laughs> so there's the TV surveillance it opens up with. Yep. Let's just go a little farther in. Yeah. So I watched the director's cut. Can you go back just a little bit just to see the just to make sure that the very, very first thing is yeah. walking up on the shop? Yeah. That is so wild that Plex just put up that version. Well, it's it's Steven who is nice enough to set me up with his server, so he must have it on there. Oh, and because he's a cinast. He is. He he's has the, the, yeah. the special director's cut, because that's what you'd want if you were gonna have a little so you're telling me there's a version of this that's less comprehensible yeah buddy <laughs> oh my god you saw the comprehensible ver- the the version i was advocating for as more comprehensible <laughs> like this imagine oh wow yeah interesting so i mean i'll i can uh wow briefly like because this would be the version that uh uh, our viewers, uh, it, it's this is great though because you'll get to have your mind blown about how fucking <sighs> playground meets the woman. They get in a car immediately. Then Kane shows up and he's like, "What are you gonna do? You got five seconds before these joggers are gonna see." So he uh, kisses her and uh, uh, and then. 
it goes, he's back home. He sees Lolita Davidovich. You already know in the first seven minutes, this guy's got a split personality. He goes up, horny, in his cane persona, lays next to her. She's like, he hears screaming, and then he gets up and walks out to check, and then it's the screaming is actually the little boy in the car who belonged to the mom who he, you know, just overtook in the car when the joggers were coming. Then... Um, oh boy, this is awesome. Uh, so then, uh, okay, then, uh, De Palma Lithgow goes to the hotel, so they have that little thing where she's like, Ooh, are we gonna have sex? He's like, Hold on. Then he leaves. Then he goes to the hotel and you see the scene between like uh, Kane and the doctor. You are what you mean me, daddy. And he's like, we need to That's get the babies. That early? Yes. That's crazy. And then that's where uh, uh, it goes. There is no edit between a close up of the doctor being like, you have to be baba, and then, <laughs> um, it cuts to her point of view shop, walking up to the shop. Oh my god! I mean, why not? No. Wow, I, I don't even know what to say. And like, I think then when you see that, you go, it's linear. Yeah, because it wasn't super easy to follow this way, but I kept reading the notes about this supposed director's cut that was a little bit more, at least artistically cogent or something. And to think that <laughs> that's if I the had version to, I saw. If I had to uh, guess, it's like, hey, the movie's going to get promoted, known as the split John Lithgow split personality movie. Yeah. Teenage audiences on a Friday night ain't going to want to sit through this like soap opera type vibe 22 minutes they're gonna be like what movie am i seeing so they bumped up the split personality scene earlier and then tucked the uh just made it linear like and then peppered the romance yeah yeah wow. um and then then it trades back off you go um you see her enter the store um but it is funny um in that version, when he's like saying, I'm going to go leave with the daughter and you need to spend more time with her. You're like, well, he's a fucking creep. I, uh, you're not like in the version we saw where you're just like, yeah. oh, he's just a dad. I don't right. know anything about him. Um, but then um, she goes, she meets Jack. And her going to Jack also seems more justified because you're like, well, she's dating a crazy person. I don't care that she's like cheating on him. Uh, I guess that's another problem with this movie is there's no one to like. I'm, I mean, yeah, you eventually fall on her side. What and, about Mac? And the guy. The, yeah. the retired cop who comes back with some. Oh, yeah. Okay, come on. We love Mac. We do love Mac. You gotta uh, hand it to Mac. And also the kid that appears out of nowhere that looks like Harpo. 
Yeah, you're going to do a bad thing. What? Why is Harpo? Why is baby Harpo in this movie? <laughs> like Harpo, he shouldn't be talking. That's the last thing. He do. Uh, I know. Harpo be honking speaks. a goddamn horn. <laughs> um, she goes and leaves the gift in the nightstand. Goes to the playground. That's another crazy thing. I never look in my hotel drawers. He's not going to find that. I know. And then that's when it gets wild with the timeline of like, did she ever leave the gift? That's where that's most confusing for me. Because if he met her at the playground, he would have had to seen the card say, meet me at two. I don't even understand what you're not understanding. Well, it's what, uh, right? Brian De Palma was explaining it to his longtime editor, Paul Hirsch. Paul Hirsch was like, I can't understand this. Brantley's notes and Brian De Palma was like, I must really be effed if even my own editor yeah. can't understand this. Right. Right. Um, uh, and maybe they were trying to make it linear to make it more understandable or something too. I mean, it makes it, uh, then she leaves that note, meets him in the park after she has the talk with the friend. And when she says, to the friend, he's just been acting really weird. He uh, came on to me, and then out of nowhere, he just left. And she's like, well, maybe he had to check on the kid. No, he got in a car and drove away. That, in the director's cut, is like a, oh, I wonder what that is. So then when it goes into the flashback, you're like, oh, that's a clever, cool thing. That's why he got up and drove. Mm. With this, you go, that. oh, she's... Picking up on what the audience already knows, which she's a psycho. Mm. And there's a long close-up of the friend kind of reacting to her saying, he like drove off. That's weird. And I think it's supposed to kind of like stabilize you to be like, yes, he's weird. Somebody knows this is weird. Then they go and have sex. And so begins then the dream within a dream within a dream. And when I first watched Raising Kane, it was really hard for me. I remember rewinding it to the hotel scene with the dad to be like, at what point was there a dream? Yeah, so, well, even in t- this version, I, I did not follow. No, and I don't think really when it ends, you're supposed to fully, I guess you are, you do definitively know that John Lithgow as Kane came back, saw them having sex and then used that as a way to blackmail the guy or, or uh, set him up yeah. with the bloody jacket. It does. It's, as fun as John Lithgow is in this, I think the casting is wrong because when he's Kane, there's no such thing as cool John Lithgow. <laughs> it's impossible. It's fun. But they're really asking you just because his hair is kind of falling down in front of his eyes and he's got sunglasses. LL. He looks like Ed Kooky Burns or something like, like he's yeah. just like this cool. It's dude. just laughable. And, and it's it not is, supposed to be entirely, I'm certain. I mean, it's a, if the poem <laughs> is like the science fair kid, it does feel like the science fair kid showing up at school one day in a leather jacket. You're like, oh, what is this? And I get the same feeling with his views on sex. It's like, it's all you like thrust and you're violent and it's just pure. Yeah. 
like depravity. The wife, what does yeah. she say to him? Like, oh, we're horny doc. Aren't we horny doctor? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a 12 year old version. of A real ear for the way women talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, Well, we can uh, uh, just the movie kind of works anyway in segments, yeah, set pieces anyway. Uh, before it like ends up getting on the right track. Well, um, I have a, a quick question. Yeah, and maybe you can explain this, and maybe there's no explanation. But there's a point where his split personality knows things he doesn't. But I don't mean like part of his subconscious. He like Kane knows something's on TV, and says Carter, turn on the TV. But it's still the same person. So no, that's the doc, the dad, and the dad is alive. The dad is the oh, one who tells him. Okay. To, oh, but I didn't get this until like the third time I watched Raising Cain. Even though I'm embarrassed because it makes it pretty clear. You're not embarrassed for having watched it three times. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> what I said to my therapist, I've watched eyes wide shut what did i say like eh, like i think like 15 16 times i went wow whoa, whoa. <laughs> you really like mask <laughs> masks oh what let's get down to that which mask are you mm, I'm, I'm probably um lifter <laughs> uh Wait, what were you just uh, uh, the the that his dad knew what was on TV because oh, his oh, dad's alive for real. The thing I didn't catch until like watching it is that there's a moment where when Carter rears his head, it's Kane being Kane pretending to be Carter. Oh boy! So like when he's getting. <laughs> interrogated and stuff there's a moment where he's like i just don't know and then the cop turns and then like he smiles like i got gotcha. you then it goes back down oh to, that's right that's to let right. you know yes that moment incredible when i first saw that <laughs> incredible. i thought that was letting me know he can go in and out of these personalities so much he was carter there that whole scene he believed he was carter but then Kane popped up at that moment uh, to smile to be like, "You did the job well, Carter." But it's, but it's, it's yeah. just him going. When he says, "I'll take over," it's like I'll pretend to be you too. Uh, watching this now, I do think the boy and Margot, the woman personalities, are real because it doesn't. There's like moments where it seems like he goes out in a way that you're supposed to be like, oh, he got legit hypnotized. He's not pretending to be. Mm. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, because, you know, that little interrogation scene where they're talking and uh, he's like, he's like, she's right there. Yeah. She's behind you. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I don't know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> in that moment. Uh, I mean, there's just details we could talk about, like the Raggedy Ann doll in the little girl's room. Yeah. Uh, the, it was up on the um, in her bedroom. Uh, um, you know, the Annabelle, the yeah. real life Annabelle was a Raggedy Ann doll. No, I didn't know that. Uh, no, but they can't use the copyright, so they use this other oh. doll. But if you look at the real life museum with the real life Raggedy Ann doll. Uh, it's 
a Raggedy Annie doll. We, my sister and I, each she had a Raggedy Ann, and I had a Raggedy. Me Andy. too, man. Yeah. And if there ain't anything creepier than a Raggedy Andy doll, it's there is this picture of me where I'm in a corner wearing the Raggedy Andy clothes because they fit on me perfectly, and I'm sitting next to it a chair in the chair. A naked. It's a naked Raggedy Andy doll. Hey, Bloomhouse, I found your new production <laughs> title card. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that showing up before Halloween ends? What? And then it goes into... I'm like into, smiling in it. And then it goes into the radio broadcast, which is Bradley and Terrence. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh. <laughs> Uh, well, speaking of kids stuff, though, I will yeah. give the kids drawing in this a 6.5 out of 10. Hey, Obviously right. done by an adult, but very little ego in making it seem well done. It seemed like the ego, the pride was taken in making it look like a kid's drawing, even though it was not done by a child. I That's tell. the kind of ego we want That's right. in the art director is the ego of, I want this to be look like a real kid thing. Yeah. Um, the... Um, is there? Oh, 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 in that scene when Lolita Davidovich yeah. is first introduced, this is the only cool thing that comes out of the theatrical release. Um, the first time you see her is when John Lithgow gets home after kidnapping those kids and he's putting his daughter down and um, she pops out from behind him. Like, you don't know mm. she's in the house. Oh. But then if you think about, like, in that version, in the theatrical version, it's a pretty cool little mirror. She gets introduced by surprise popping out behind him, and then her last shot is her popping down and him being behind her. Oh, yeah. So it works as, like, a cool... Th that was the one benefit. It's yeah. like, oh, her little exit and entry and exit are the same. That but last, um, last shot is great. I yeah, how that. about that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now that's a, from, there's a re reveal like that, gonna burst your bubble here. I know you thought everything Brian De Palma does is original, but that's from a, a Dario Argento movie. I know, never know how to pronounce it. Tene tenebre, Tenebre. Oh, I don't know, but God damn it. Uh, and it's a similar thing where somebody goes down and the killer is behind the person. It's really freaky. But does he elevate this or heighten it or add to it or is it just the same thing? For me, the argument of how it's different is that he's gone again. Uh, that he, yeah, and that he uh, uh, um, you haven't seen him as a woman yet. Uh, they were like clever to keep that always hidden for the last twenty minutes, so that when you see him dressed like that fully, um, but you know it because you see him from behind for so long. But you don't see like the makeup. I guess if you've seen. Uh, World According to Garp, you already know yeah, what you're in for. That's yeah. right. So we'll just uh, go through these. Um, uh, the um, um, Oh, what were you saying? Well, there's the the yuppiness of it is there's a Volvo, and you can more tell by the distinct Volvo headrests, those cast rubber yeah. high headrests. Yeah. I took a whole trip to Florida back riding one of those, baby. <laughs> uh, uh, the... Um, uh, I was gonna um, 
Uh, oh, the um. Oh, never mind. Uh, um. So the uh. When he goes and sees the den, um. Oh, something that I thought was cool is um when she first puts this the box with Carter. Uh-huh. written on the card um you don't see it in her hand i did pause it and slow it down so i could see uh the name on the card briefly and it does say carter you d- you wouldn't see it so fast but when she goes and has the memory of how she forgot it cuz she heard a noise it's shot differently with the box up so you fully see Carter this time. Uh, I like it in the, when uh, movies, they like trick you. They're like, Hey, we were playing by the rules. We just didn't show you that one. Um, When next you got on in your uh, notes? Um, Well, I'm basically to the point where uh, Jenny makes out with the man whose wife is dying in the same room with them. Yeah, I, that's the I have it right here. I that is such a scary moment for me with her f- reflection in the TV. It's brilliant until the crash zoom on her face which is so comedic that that's where you see that he's like, yeah, I meant it to be funny, but I don't think he did. It was crazy. That moment, the look on that woman's face is not scary. It's like, it's like, "Mm, did I do that? Did I die? (laughs) They should have had her say, did I die? (laughs) And then Uh, it also goes so far to make me not care about the character of Jenny of like, you're a, doctor you have a hippocratic oath this woman's dying as we speak and you are just wait till she dies at least that's true that's a pretty bad form <laughs> and then, well and also her her husband he doesn't have, oh, clearly doesn't not have respect cl- for the not clearing him he's either. already dead to me i was just like i'm just thinking of her as our protagonist you but they're know? all bad doctors but hey Brian De Palma's dad was a doctor who was fucking the nurse. He doesn't. Yeah. He, what's he respect? Does he have for? I don't like him either. Um, I mean, nurses are better than doctors. Clearly, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, I'm serious. Yeah, they are. Like, they're, they're... more work, same amount of knowledge. One gets to be the ensemble player who does good scenes every time. Yeah. One's the star who comes in and is like, beep, boop, yeah. catchphrase, out of here. <laughs> like Halloween 2. Uh, I was at that party where all the adults are, and uh, sorry, sorry I'm late. <laughs> uh, oh, I love the dream within the dream stuff, because uh, it's just like, there's a couple cool moments that they do. There's one part where the leaves behind her, she wakes up on leaves. Oh. And in camera, they must pull the leaves out because when she sits up, then the leaves aren't behind her anymore. So oh, they that's like. That's cool. Yeah, that, uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I wonder how many takes they had to do on things like that and the Lithgow, him popping up. He's not there. She comes into frame. She ducks down. He's there. She gets back up. He's and gone. then he's gone. So is the he's weird just slickness of that down. 
I guess. You can't yeah. go right or left. But yeah, that little spot amazing. in the middle is like. I gone. wish I would love to see an alternate angle of how they did that. You know, I mean, I know how they did it, but just to see to them see do it the how, onset video of like John Lithgow in a dress, like yes. crouched down. And did they have to give him more room in the skirt so he didn't split it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, the I also just you know any kind of dream stuff. It's also tricking me because like fucking reality in this movie feels like a dream yeah for sure so shot like a dream yeah, yeah. um nightmare when she there's such a good suspense movie in the 20 seconds when she's aware that she overslept and her husband's mm-hmm. been looking for her mm-hmm. and in a way that remember De Palma was maybe supposed to direct fatal attraction we're like good thing he didn't because he would have gotten focused on all the wrong details and stuff for sure this is that where you're like that is such a juicy suspense it's so good and then she's driving home and calling the other woman she's like don't worry about it i'll take care of it yeah the actress just had no urgency you know it (laughs) yeah it's all right she should be shitting bricks you know I mean, maybe she wants out, but she should have some emotion, like the stress or the anxiety. I oh. No, you're right. You're right, man. It's just a sunny day in a nice Volvo going, I got to pick up some groceries. And well, it's so funny, though, that like that real moment is completely like, then she like turns into a spear and it goes into her chest oh, and she wakes up. I did like that. Oh, definitely. Uh, and that I, the director's cut is such a fun ride, Matt, because you're like... <laughs> Oh, I'm watching the psycho opening. Oh, wait, it's a dream within a dream. Okay. Wait, within a dream? Holy shit. Okay, it's this kind of movie. And then when he comes in and then like uh, uh, suffocates her with the pillow and it goes into his thing, you're like, wait, this is a split personality movie? I wish I could say that that was my experience because it did not track for me. And again, this is, I was 100% paying attention. And I think this is the fault of the movie because I was there. I was engaged. And I was not following when it would change from dream to within a dream and go back. And so I was left trying to retrace my steps as opposed to having like the impact of a reveal. It just didn't happen, you know? You, uh, uh, yeah. Did I it mean, happen you're, for you that way the first time you saw it? I mean, it couldn't have, right? In the theatrical version. When I watched the theatrical version, I remember I kept in the back of my mind going, what was the real thing that happened here? in the park and trying to know what was the real thing that the dream was based on. I still have confusion <laughs> in the director's cut. He checks the box and sees the card where she says, meet me at 2 PM. But in the chronology of that yeah. movie, he's already met her. So there's some weird like edit that happened that doesn't make sense. The other thing that I can just see that they repeat, the like convo between the mom and her friend at the playground before you see it yeah, from his point of view. Right, they, right. And I think if it wasn't a, a fan who put this together, I can't imagine ever in a universe, Brian De Palma recycling a scene like that where it wouldn't be, Oh, you see him pulling up in the car and totally from her point, his point of view, he's seeing them talk. Uh-huh. The, there's just kind of some little yeah. fudging that they do. Right. Um, but cause that would be cool. Um, my next note is when the, talking to the cops, Jenny. And the, yes. I can't believe that 
a child's in danger. And one of the cops says, I don't want to be walking behind any coffins talking about a dead kid. Like the mom's right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Insane. That line is an all timer. Yeah. I wrote all timer next to it that yeah. I don't want to be walking behind any little coffins. First of all, you're not invited to the funeral. Second of all, save my you child like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even if you don't, well, I gotta I just guess. sing the phrases of that Mac character yeah. though, where they're yeah. like, "Mac, you're old. Get out of here." Well, you know he does this, and then they're like, "Mac, you're back on the force." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fucking funniest thing in the I world. I want the Mac movie. <laughs> <laughs> Give us that Mac spinoff. America's been wanting. Um, then. Once you're out of Carter's flashback, then I think the movie kind of goes into all this thing, this sort of like car stuck in the swamp. Um, uh, Let's talk about, yeah, Greg Henry, who's a big um, Brian De Palma actor. Um, He's the guy who says we don't want to be walking behind any. Yeah. uh, I think he's now. killer in body double. There's a point where Dennis Franz stop being in De Palma movies. And I think Greg Henry took over for the, mm. the guy, the funny guy who says like, uh, remember in body double and when he goes, her face was glowing, glowing. I haven't even gotten the gleam. <laughs> 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 you know, dudes talk bad. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, we got the trope of an opie with the cops going, that's right. Get out of here. There's no scrapbook. No scrapbook, but um, Francis uh, Sternhagen. Sternhagen gives the equivalent of a <laughs> scrapbook. That's true. Uh, and um, so does Lolita Davidovich in her own head. Now, what do you think of that long take when they're walking through the thing? That was pretty fun. It was huh? cool. Yeah, that's what you come to De Palma for. And in terms of coziness, seeing this kind of like southwestern style building. Yeah. Late 80s, early 90s yeah. building, walking around it. <laughs> you listeners can't see it, but you're Should doing be like it a, a, Ed Grimley shuffle right now. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, like I really could be Ed Grimley, I must say. <laughs> well, that was good. not a good one. That was all. Really I sounded good. like a surfer dude or something. Oh, that was good. Um, that long take goes from 54 minutes, 17 seconds to 54 minutes, 45 seconds. What? That's not right. Those are the differences between the two versions. Yeah. Uh, the length of it is um, four minutes. Uh, I just have a general note that says this movie does wonders for understanding mental health. Um and I don't even want to think about how De Palma gets that little child actress to cry. <laughs> that scares the crap yeah, out of me. Yeah, we don't like that stuff. Um, when he goes back, uh, that's the element that I think is really cool, is that the wife survived. And the way you find out is like, after that big long take, they pull back the sheet and it's not her. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was cool. So that has to be somebody else. And then when he goes home, the jump scare of her on the TV screen is really great. Yeah. Um, and then just being like, oh, that's the rest of the movie. She didn't die. And now she's kind of like, it is like a little bit of the yuppie nightmare st- structure you're talking about where it's like, right, person gets fucked with. But I just, I like that it's sort of like she gets the first part, she gets act one, Carter gets act two. And then act three, it's kind of like her being like, Hey, I'm still in this movie. Yeah. Cause you could even look at it as like a 
whatever the fight of gender that this movie is or something, it's almost like the story is fighting. It's like her being like, the first half hour is my romance movie. And then him being like, well, what's the man's role in this? What's my part in the marriage and life? Am I a caregiver? Am I the mother? Let's just make the fucking movie about me, okay? And then like, so the next 40 minutes and then the last 20 minutes, she's like, no, 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 come, come, come back. This is my movie. It does crack me up at the beginning of this podcast. We had a long discussion where you were like, the fir- if you could see the first 20 minutes is like a romance story. And the <laughs> you- whole time... I saw it and it still didn't even register to me that I had seen it. Well, I was going to, when you were saying the dream within a dream, you got it. That is why they had to re-edit it. Yeah. It must be like people yeah. watched it and were just like, this is fucking, where am I at? It, it's probably easier to hold on to it when you're like, I know John Lithgow is the lead of this movie and it's a split personality movie so I truly wonder if I'd like it better if I watched the theatrical that's interesting um maybe we'll do a commentary on yeah. the theatrical sometime you'll go ah it's a masterpiece <laughs> <laughs> what was I saying um the uh um I'm all out of notes me too yeah I mean the um uh, I like the uh that part with the over the shoulder where he goes like, oh my God, what's that behind you? That's the most in a movie it's ever tricked me. Oh, really? Like I usually, a character does yeah. that. I'm like, eh, this yeah. is bullshit. But I got fell for it. And also when I watch Raising Cain, when that scene starts and it just goes to classic over the shoulder, back and forth cutting, I kind of go, huh. This is a little boring. The movie hasn't really You're done up this. To something, yeah. And then so the fact that it ends up the reason that was set up is so that you could have the thing where he looks over her shoulder and is like, "What is that?" I was like, "That's pretty cool." Mm, yeah, cool trick. Um, okay. Uh, the last thing, just the big set piece at the end. Yes, I, I love it. I love it so much. I like it too. You see, you get the introduction of the drunk guys who are yelling and the tow truck yeah. coming in. And I think this is my fa- one of my favorite things about De Palma is when something that looks ordinary. And this is like the biggest version of this because a lot of times it's like things are, are like at a like, oh, the steps in a train station or the, the locations are epic mm. too. But what I kind of like is like sometimes it's just fun to look at life with like a an eye of like what if you could at this three level hotel kind of start at the top and just kind of lower your eye down yeah, through the three levels like and then house. move underneath that and then come back through and it just makes the space I live in feel kind of the world feel a little yeah artistic or stylized and so the fact that this is like a trashy motor lodge i think is really cool that it gets all this like style out it's not like he shot it at an art deco museum that already had all this style pumped up in it it's cool that it's like in this trashy little motor lodge and it's all tight and confined in there that's probably my favorite part of that end there i was disappointed by the saving of the guy as he's about to be stabbed by the sundial. I thought it would have been a more. Oh, 
He doesn't have to shoot the dot. It wasn't going to poke him anyway. It's like the silliest thing. He shoots it off just so it wouldn't hurt him. I just think that guy should have died because he's probably, honestly, the most innocent of anyone in this movie. He's Mm -hmm. he's fucked over his dying wife for sure. But so is the doctor. No, he's not any more innocent than her. What am I talking about? But for the two of them having to pay some price for their transgressions, Mm. her surviving... But escaping Carter, but losing him, I think would have been more appropriate. Otherwise, it's this weird kind of fairy tale ending that just You're- leaves you set up for a twist that, though that twist at the end is cool, I'm more thrilled by the execution of the shot than I am by the impact of being afraid of it or, or like, oh no, what's going to yeah. happen? You're right. And if he had, he wasn't necessary anymore because they mentioned him in the playground where she's like, yeah, I got him. Oh, that sounds better than a gun. But if anything, him not being in her life anymore, being dead and her like wandering off into the park is even scarier. Yeah. Because yeah. you're like, oh, that guy's out of the picture. Yeah. And now, uh, yeah, I that very, very ending is, uh, for me, I think it's perfect. I just, it's seeing her wander in and you're like... It's maybe my just one of my favorite things about a thriller is just when you think it's over and it keeps going, you're like, well, it gotta be going on for some <laughs> reason. Well, yeah. what's this gonna be? It's just a really exciting Yeah, and that one you you know something's coming, but you don't see it coming in that second. Although I've seen that De Palma documentary twice, so They've sh- they show it in right. there, so I kn- I knew. Yeah. But so, what's your best thrill? That's mine. Is that final shot? Um, yeah, you know, competitive. The the rivals are the woman's face, um, <laughs> in the the TV screen when they're kissing, and he glances yeah. over. Especially in the directors, because because that's the first scary moment in twenty two minutes uh-huh. is when that happens. You're like, whoa! It's really. Uh, I also like her jump scare when he looks at the surveillance camera, the black and white TV in their house, the nanny cam. But I'll give it to the very, very end. Okay, fatal. Also kind of semi-sleepaway camp type of ending of just like a surprise gender reveal. A little bit, for sure. In the woods. We each gave 13 to Fatal Attraction. We each gave 8 to Pacific Heights. You gave Sleeping with the Enemy a 9. I gave it a 9.5. Hand That Rocks the Cradle, you gave an 11.5. I gave an 11. Raising Cane. What did I give Pacific Heights? Uh, we both gave it an 8. Okay. This will probably be our, our biggest <laughs> The rubber hits the road, I my know. friend. Let's just be ourselves here. You go for it. You celebrate this. I'm going to give it a 10. 10. I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it a five. That's cool, buddy. (laughs) Sorry. Hey, friendships are about differences as much as they are about likenesses. That's right. And if you average this, it's a 7.5. That's not horrible. That ain't horrible. (laughs) (laughs) So what's next week? Can I ask you just one more De Palma question? Of course. Next week is consenting adults. (laughs) <laughs> which I'm excited and about. And we are adults who are consenting to watching that movie. That's right. We know what we're somehow know what we're getting into. I think you are clear on which De Palma movies I've seen. Carrie, Mission Impossible, Untouchables, Blowout, Dress to Kill, Body Double, uh, Raising Cane. Mm-hmm. I've seen Casualties of War, but only back in the day. Mm-hmm. 
What am I missing there? The Fury. Uh, My question is, I think those are the ones I've seen. What would you recommend I watch next that I haven't seen? Oh, and Carlito's Way and Scarface, I've seen those. Yeah. If you feel like you haven't, that you didn't really see Casualties of War, it's been a while, I'd watch that as a Vietnam fan. Oh, wow. But is the, I remember being depressed as a kid when I watched that and thinking that like Platoon didn't depress me. And that movie doesn't. But it might give you okay. the soul of uh, De Palma that you're looking for. Yeah, because I know some people are like, he uses technique in that and it's distasteful because it's about Vietnam and he shouldn't be using. But I think it's reserved. And he clearly is a lefty who's making a movie yeah. as much as he can to show his outrage. About, okay. Um, but that maybe that good. is a that's not um and you've seen Bonfire. Right, that's right. I've seen Bonfire. Yeah. Jeez Louise. Oh, 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 oh. Have you seen Snake Eyes? No. Watch Snake Eyes, oh, man. Okay. That's fucking awesome. Okay, good. And yeah, when I when I'm fun. sad, I watch Snake Eyes to get happy. <laughs> okay. Like I, I realized it. it like in 2005 or six, seven. I I was going through a breakup and I was like I get some ice cream and watch Snake Eyes, oh, and it, it made me happy. And now, since it. then, anytime I feel a little blue, I'll watch Snake Eyes and feel oh, happy. That's so I can't believe that wasn't the first thing I said. Okay, that makes me feel yeah. good. Casualties uh, of war. Uh, that makes me feel happy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that was fun, and I appreciate both your guidance and understanding. Well, and, I appreciate uh, you always. And uh, you're, we'll be back here next week as two consenting adults watch consenting adults. See you then. Bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com, and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.